Well, I loved your, um, I loved seeing you all discuss together, and I enjoyed it at my table. I hope that that gives you a little bit of a taste kind of into kind of this evening when we have like the, act, the questions and engagement together. I hope you'll be just as interested in seeking to know each other and, um, yeah, just the facet that that is of, of knowing God through each other. So I liked how you guys um, said it in the back. I might not remember right now. Um, it said, um, growing in Christ, what, what did it say on the back? Can anyone help me? There's a, yeah, growing like Christ together. And I, I love the way that you guys said it because it just kind of simplifies for us kind of what we're here to do together. Um, so thank you for letting me join in you, join in with you. And this evening we're going to talk about God's basis for sanctification. So how does God grow us? How do we think about these things? So as we think about transformation that God does in our lives, we could easily come at this weekend from a technical side. We can define sanctification. We can explain the different components of our salvation, the whole of Christ is, what he's done for us. Um, We can even spend time discussing spiritual disciplines and um, quiet times and, and what does it mean to bear fruit in Christ but that wasn't my approach this weekend. Be well worth it, um, especially even thinking of Easter coming up, um, thinking about Jesus' resurrection. David Pallison defines sanctification as any time we're changing for the better. And I hope that that simplifies things for you. Um, any time we're changing for the better. He mentions five influencers in our sanctification, and those are the truth of God's word, our circumstances, which can be our struggles and sufferings, God himself, wise people. Can anyone think of the fifth one? Anyone know it? It's you. So we're talking about these influencers through the lens of relationships. And God's word can come through his people. um, and, And also people can contribute to our suffering and be a part of our circumstance. And lest we forget, we can be the same for others as well. We could be in need of wise people, or be wise people, or both. We respond and we make choices. And also, change in godliness is not formulaic. It's not one plus one equals two. It's not do this and then this will happen. I'm really thankful that God is much more surprising in how he transforms us. And it's kind of a relief to me. But would you put on with me, not rose-colored glasses for, I don't know about you, um, but in my relationship so far in life, um, it, is, it is sometimes painful, and it's not always rosy. Um, but I want you to put on with me some glasses that are richer, deeper, and heavenly. And recently, um, probably, well, it's probably been a month now, and I still can't see, but I went to the doctor to get new contact lenses, and it's been, my eyes have fluctuated so much in the last several years, back and forth, due to pregnancies and everything else, and um, so I was so excited to get these contacts where I could finally see, Um, and as the day progressed on, I was beginning to see less and less clearly, and as I was driving home, the road signs, you know, would normally be like this big, but they are like this big, and, you know, I I, I probably shouldn't have been driving at that point. Um, But the lenses that we put on really affect how we see. And so I'm asking you to put on, we have a very specific focus with these um, relationships, how God uses those to change us. 
And, and we're specifically focusing on how our oneness with God and our, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, our oneness with each other, brings about change and more of who God is and who we are in him. So the Lord does the changing, and our focus is primarily on him. But a primary way that he grows and changes us is through relationships. Ephesians two nineteen through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation of his people. And drawing us dependently into oneness with him, his people are dependent on him, we're dependent on him, and yet we're interdependent on each other. We're fellow citizens, we're joined together, we're growing into his holy building where he dwells. This is the work of the Spirit. It's what God is after among us. So I've structured the talk so that tonight we consider God's basis for change. We'll look at who God is, who he created us to be, what went wrong, what God is doing and will do redemptively in the context of relationship. And this is dense, so bear with me, because we had to have this foundation this evening to talk tomorrow more about what it means relationally. But tomorrow morning we'll talk about what it means that we're needy, and then in the afternoon or later we'll talk about what it means to be needed. And my hope is that tomorrow it'll give us a sense of how God uses our relationships with one another to make us more into his image. So before we jump in, um, I wanted to introduce you a little bit more, share a little bit about my story. Nothing too significant, but just to let you get to know me a little bit. I have a sister that's five years older, and my brother is one year older. And my parents both worked while I was growing up. I didn't grow up in the church. Um... But when we, I was born in Pittsburgh, we moved to northeast Pennsylvania, like five minutes from the New York border, and a neighbor, Mrs. Carey, invited me to church, um, and I ended up going, went to Awana, the children's program, and went to vacation Bible school, and, um, and I remember being under the pew, like memorizing, I was a little cubby, I think, if anyone's familiar with Awana, and I remember memorizing scripture under the pew, and it was such a refuge for me, um, and such a picture of God's care that I really needed in my life at that time. And then kind of in junior, um, junior high and high school, I, I kind of got pulled away from away from those relationships, and, and I chose to turn from those relationships as well. I was just confused and not knowing how to think about things. Um, and then I began really unhealthy relationships. I'm not sure that I had very many healthy relationships kind of growing up. My home wasn't very healthy. Um, but, um, yeah, so then we, we were getting ready to move down to North Carolina. My parents and I and my brother moved down here, and I, I spent two years at Northern um, in Durham. And I was so thankful to start over in my relationships. I'm thinking, okay, like this is, I know how I don't want to live, and I'm going to, I get to like start over. Um, but again, I was very isolated. I didn't have 
um, didn't have relationships and kind of jumping in when everybody has their friends. Not to mention it was like I went from a very rural town of like my high school was a collective five, maybe it was like 400 people in the high school to like northern where there's like thousands of students. Um, So I was struggling to find my way. But I was still looking to people to kind of orient me in life. And I was growing in my awareness of the emptiness that I was experiencing and, and yet knowing that, I, that something wasn't right. And I think the Lord was preparing my heart for when I went to college. I went to UNC Greensboro. And um, again, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a good person. So I sign up for campus outreach thinking that it was like Habitat for Humanity, right? Like outreach to the community. Um, so very, very wise wording there. Um, and But before I got in touch with anybody or got involved there, I remember being at a fraternity party, like God had just opened my eyes to see, like, you are empty and everyone around you is empty. And I remember just thinking, like, there has to be more to life than this. And I remember even, like, setting my cup down and leaving. Um, so around that time, there was a girl that was involved with that college ministry, and I started spending time with her and learned what it really meant to have a relationship with God, that it wasn't about what I did, but it was about what Jesus had done for me. And so continued growing, um, began sharing my faith on the campus, and when I was getting ready to graduate, um, that college ministry was getting ready to send a long-term team to South Africa, and so I ended up going with that team. And... Have any of you heard the saying that missionaries, you know, why most missionaries leave the field? Does anyone know? Can anyone shout out what the answer? Because of other, other people, like other missionaries. Um, and so it was really hard, and thankfully we didn't have that experience on our team, but it was very isolating, um, and it was very hard. It was very exposing. Um, and I, I grew in understanding more of what I really believe about God and myself and other people. And I'm thankful for the relationships there, the church that we were connected to. And there's one specific woman that really helped to reorient me to God outside of myself and really helping me to see more of how is God thinking about these things, not just getting sucked down into what, what was so hard about struggling. And it was also really neat kind of investing in the women there, seeing their relationships grow together and how unique and dynamic that is and and seeing more of who God is. So fast forward, I was going to go to seminary to go back to South Africa. That never happened um, because I'm here. Um, but I ended up, there was a woman on the campus, her name was Janie Clark, and she really um, regrounded me in remembering who is God and who, I, who am I in Christ, and um, very foundational in my life and continues to be. So I started working at CCEF, and that, that was probably, um, that wasn't long after I met Wes, um, and my now husband, um, but he was also working there, and, and he and I worked there for, I mean, several years from um, probably 2011 until 2016, so about five years. His, his church um, was in Chapel Hill before he went up to seminary, and, um, and they asked us to come back and help start the counseling center in connection with the church, so that's kind of why we're here. 
And it was really helpful for me last weekend to realize that I've only been here for a year and three months. Um, it was very helpful. But I'm still developing my relationships here, and it's really vulnerable, and it's really risky. Um, and yet God is, God is helping me to do that. So the other thing is that counseling, you would think, okay, I'm the counselor, they're the counselee, you know, this is about what I'm giving to them. But I find myself so transformed by witnessing God working. And I myself am reminded of the very things that I'm talking with them about. And relationships are not one-sided. So just getting you to think about your story. What is your story? Who are the people that God has used in your own life? Um, whether that is um, to build you up or those that you have invested in and you found yourself built up by your time with them and remembering who God is. And there may also, we, we also recognize there are relationships that are hard and painful, and yet God uses those to redirect us upward towards him. So think for yourself, what is your story? How would you share that with someone? Okay, so brace yourselves. This is the more dense part. Bear with me. Um, We want to be oriented to who God is, who created us. Before we can get to who we are, we have to really consider who our God is. So first, our God is one God and three persons. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In his very being, in his essence, he is Trinity. So think about that. There is relational community for God in and of himself. And yet he's personal, he's intimate. Secondly, our God is complete in himself. He needs nothing. He doesn't need anyone. He's independent, and yet he gives of himself. This is what Acts 17, 24 through 25 says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all to all mankind life and breath and everything. He he is existing in and of himself, needing no one. And yet our independent God, thirdly, chooses to dwell with his people. God dwelling with his people is a developing theme in Scripture. I will be your God, you will be my people, I will be with you. It's kind of the theme, and yet the, the fullness of that comes into greater fruition all throughout Scripture. Fourthly, our God is unknowable. He's exhaustive. He's incomprehensible. So my, don't let my four little descriptions of who God is minimize who he is. He is expansive, and yet he chooses to make himself known in a way that's knowable. So if this is who God is, then who are his people? Let's start first by who we are not. Do you find yourself, like me, defining yourself or others by lesser things? Anyone else willing to admit that? Let me name some of them. Who am I? I'm single. I'm neglected. I'm married. I have kids. I'm elderly. I'm successful. I'm infertile. I'm empty nester, I'm widowed, I'm oppressed or abused, I'm abandoned, I'm college student, I'm divorced, I'm my job, I'm homemaker, I'm academic, I'm failure, I'm appearance, I'm owner of a home, I'm responsible, I'm disabled, I'm physical weakness, 
I'm same-sex attracted. I'm aging. I'm fulfilling the shoulds. I'm my choices. I'm my struggle. And currently, for the last five years, I would say I'm sleep-deprived. But, but you, like, think about it. Fill in the blank for yourself. And what happens when things change, or even when they don't change, which sometimes feels even worse? Any identity that is other than who we are in Christ is ultimately temporary and not dependable. I often believe myself to be someone lesser than who I truly am, or at times falsely greater than who I am. So I want to just give one example of of what I'm after for you to to be thinking about with that is I was meeting with a friend recently, and, and she was kind of, yeah, if I kind of fast forward, if we kind of say like, if I were to ask her, like, who, who are you? And she would kind of say, she wouldn't, I mean, anyway. She would just say, I, f- I feel, like, so thrown away. Like, so her, the way she's living is, I'm thrown away. I'm trash. I'm thrown away. So we just were talking about, what does it mean then? Because that's not how God thinks about it. So, thinks about you. So what does it mean that you're kept? What does it mean you're trash, you're thrown away? What does it mean that God actually... You're kept by him. So this is what I'm after with you, to consider what, who are you truly in Christ that will actually change the way that you live in different moments of time. It can't just stay up here in our heads, if it even stays there at all. So first, um, well, remember that we're, we're wearing these relational ga- glasses that are giving us specific insight into the relational aspects of God's story. There are so many parts to God's story, and even talking the little bit that we are barely touches on this. But we're, we're thinking about it through the lens of relationships, right? <clears throat> so first, we were created beings made in, the imi- made in his image to image him as image bearers. We're dependent on a creator, and we exist for his glory. Calvin says that we're intended to reflect the divine glory. Someone has said, we are the brightest of those mirrors. So the reflectors were the brightest mirrors. It says created people in his image. And a different um, part of that is that we are made in community. We, the, the pronoun, if I'm using the right English term, we um, began in creation. God said it was not good for man to be alone. Why? Well, in part because we are made in his image, and his image is communal and relational by nature. Man and female had had fellowship together, but this fellowship, this relationship, was preceded first by relationship with God. Again, God's people were made to multiply his image, and a developed theme in scripture is that others would be brought into his family. So originally, you, um, you image God by um, multiplying yourselves, and throughout scripture, it expands to his kingdom being multiplied in different ways, not just physically. God's people were seen as a people, not individuals. Genesis 5 says, When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. So God's, in being created as a people, 
God's people impact one another, and we're called to live as one people. We're mutually interdependent and in a reciprocal back and forth. There's back and forth in a relationship together. So we're made made to be a community. We're dependent on our creator. And another way to think about dependent is to think trust in, right? Um, I... Yeah, I mean, even in, even in coming here this evening, I was very dependent on people. I was really having to trust outside of myself, um, one, on my phone to even get here, but then on the people to help guide me and know when is it my turn to go up and all those things. But that is trust. You know, your chairs are holding you up because you're sitting in them. <laughs> if you didn't really trust the chair, you wouldn't really be sitting in it. So we're dependent on him and his ways. So we were, ex- we were made to express love towards our creator by not choosing this one tree that was out of bounds. And even before sin, this is really important, before sin, we were dependent on God's word to orient us. God's word oriented man before there was sin. That didn't come after, that came before. We were made to express love towards our creator by serving, giving of ourselves and love, We weren't created for ourselves, for our glory, not for our desires, not for our proclaimed needs or demands. That one's hard for me to hear sometimes because I don't like that. Um, So we're created in the image of God to image him. Second, we, we don't image God. We distrust and we turn from God, trusting in ourselves. Satan wanted to get in the way of relationship with God and deceived. He removed God's person from his law and added to what God said, do not touch. Sinclair Ferguson refers to the way that Satan not only denies the authority of God's word, he destroys the character of God's person. Satan spoke of God in the abstract. He didn't mention to Eve God's covenant name of steadfast love to her. And we, I'm saying we as Adam and Eve's representational, um, representative parents, we chose to not trust God's character, his steadfast love, his care. We believed God was withholding. And isn't this what all sin is? God is stingy. He's withholding. We didn't express our love to our creator. We failed the test. So we experienced broken relationship with God. We were sent out from God's holy presence. We became exiles, those who were far off, dead in sin, aliens opposed to God. We're still alive, but something in us died. We became broken mirrors. And we experienced broken relationships with each other. Some of the ways that we experienced the relational disruption of our choice to trust in ourselves looks like blaming, hiding, pointing down at, comparing, enmity, being against each other. Fear and shame entered in. And we also become, or at times choose, isolation and independence. So we're sent out of God's presence because he's holy and we are now unholy, unclean, We dwell now in a broken world. Satan remains active and seeks to harm. 
And our battle, we must remember, this is, we easily forget this, but our battle is not against people, his image bearers. It's against the evil one who is opposed to God. And we really forget that with each other. And our bodies are broken. We experience suffering, pain, and creation itself groans. But, this is one of my favorite themes in scripture, hope is given even with the curse. Have you thought about that before? There didn't need to be hope with the curse, but because of who our God is, he gives us hope even with the curse. God's common grace is restraining the fullness of the curse and the consequence of sin. He's holding back his full wrath, and he's holding back the evil one on this earth and against man. Hope will come in God himself and Jesus. We can't do it. We failed. And Jesus will overcome sin and even death itself. God reveals himself. He can still be known and chooses to pursue those who turned against him. How many of us choose to pursue those who turn against us? It doesn't come very easily. So though made in his image, we distrust him. We fail to image him. Thankfully, his hope comes to fruition in Jesus. Thirdly, we are redeemed and being transformed dependently in relationship with God. You have to catch that part. Dependently in trust with God. There's kind of two parts. The first part, um, I'm sure there's many more, but... Um, First, God begins and will complete his work of redeeming his people back to himself. That's Philippians 1.6. So in the first five books of the Bible, we see God's provision of a sacrificial system that would point to he himself as the sacrifice, the lamb who would be sacrificed to make a way through sin and death. God immediately pursued his people after they were sent out from the garden. No delay, Think about this, a holy God uniting himself to an unholy people. This should should shock us. We get so used to hearing it that we forget how shocking that would be. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Have you ever heard, heard, heard that and actually thought about the communal nature of what God has done? It's us. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. If we boast in anything, we have to boast in Christ alone, not our figuring it out, not us being strong enough, not us doing enough or making some way. We boast in Christ. Salvation is an event When you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we receive a new heart and we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. 
A.W. Pink says, the heart must be changed so as to be brought into conformity to God's nature and will. Its motives and desires, thoughts and actions require to be purified. Jesus says of his own work on our behalf, it is finished. We image God now by his indwelling Holy Spirit and his empowerment to live a new way. So who are we is more than just do like Jesus. It's more than Jesus is our example. Our very beings are transformed, something far greater. We become, we become greater than the original man created. We become Christ in us, far greater. We become his very temple where he dwells. That's why the image of his people being built up together with him as the cornerstone, is so powerful. Secondly, God is transforming us into the image of Christ in relationship with him and one another, dependently by his grace. We're discussing more of how this looks um, throughout throughout our time together. But remember our relational glasses, that this happens in relationship with each other. He does change us as a people. There's plurality, and we can see the communal nature as we read earlier in Ephesians. Because of Christ, God's people are able to image his relational ways and fellowship together in even greater ways than experienced in the garden. We're still a people, and it doesn't end with us. His people invite and draw others in. Have, have you all ever seen the, um, those little bug zappers? where it just somehow the bug is just, you know, Um, like that is kind of weird. We want to be like drawing other people, except instead of zapping them, we actually want to bring them to life. So maybe we can think about it as like resuscitation or something. Um, But this is intended to expand beyond ourselves. It's attractive. One goal is to become more of who we really are in Jesus. So we image more of who we are in our relationships with others. Out of being in his image, out of being loved, we love and we live in relationship with with others. So out of being in his image, out of being loved by him, we love and live. We dependently trust in our creator, expressing our love in him, love to him, and our love for others. This is faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6. Our relationships are reordered. These are miraculous things, right? These are, don't forget how miraculous this is. There is a way through sin and brokenness, through what feels so automatic to us. There's a new way. We're able to come out of hiding and live in light and true fellowship with each other without fear. We can speak truth openly and honestly with one another. We can confess our sins and weaknesses We build each other up. We seek right relationship with each other. We're extending mercy to one another. For example, in Colossians 3, there are many relational categories. God's commands and do's and don'ts mainly deal with how we relate to each other because his way is going to bring life to one another. It's also a lifestyle of repentance and faith, turning from ourselves and other things, and turning to God himself, and trusting in Christ alone. 
His work in us is finished now, and we are growing. We are not yet what we fully will be in his completion. David Pallison gives us good images as to what we can look like in this sanctification process. Sometimes we can leap like gazelles. Who likes that one? I like that one. Other times we're trudging, crawling, not moving, but facing the right direction, asleep. Hopefully no one's asleep right now. Sleep, wandering off. Do we like to speak when we're wandering off, when we're asleep, when we're trudging, crawling? That's really hard. It's a matter of direction, not destination. It's humbling to admit our humanity. Yet, will we turn towards God and trust in him when, as it's we will, when we fail? <clears throat> when we fail, will we turn and trust in him? Even when we do good and right, will we trust in him? It is so easy to think that we do good and right in and of ourselves. But that is his fruit, his glory, his grace. There is no neutrality in the posture of our hearts. We're either turned towards God or away from him. God's trajectory of continued growth is different for each of us. So God's trajectory of how we're growing is going to be different. We cannot compare. So tempting. Like, especially, you know, I can just admit as a, as a mom with three very young kids, it is so tempting to look around me. Um, and also, we don't get to choose what or how God will grow us. That one I particularly do not like because I would much rather be God to myself, and yet that how silly to think that I would know how to grow myself. It's very uncomfortable to be in a place of dependence, of trust. But it is actually a kindness that the Lord doesn't allow us to trust in ourselves. We're reliant to be dependent on him. This process is also not linear. You know, it's not chronological or formulaic in earthly terms. In some ways I can like think, well that really stinks and yet Somehow, in his grace, it is so much more exponential than I could have ever formulated. It is his resurrection of our souls, being brought to life in Christ, being made more visible. It's not my soul being made more resurrected. There's this downward circle of upward trajectory of growth. You know, like, okay, wait, I'm still, like, should I be struggling like this? Um, and yet it's not the end of what God is doing. We have to admit we are not perfected. We will still struggle with sin and suffering. We'll talk more about this tomorrow. But is there anybody else out there that would not, you know, this shouldn't be true. I shouldn't be sinning. I shouldn't be struggling. They shouldn't be sinning. They shouldn't be struggling. Or to be weak. My hope is that by the end of the weekend, you will have a stronger sense of who you really are in Jesus, and that would, it would grip you to then live as you truly are in him, in real moments, in your relationships with others.
Finally, yes, there's even more to what God is doing. We will be glorified. Close your eyes with me. Don't fall asleep. And I I will tell you when to open them. I always find that uncomfortable. I'm like, when am I supposed to open my eyes? Imagine with me. You know, we were worshiping earlier. Envision it. The singing, the piano, voices gathered together. Different octaves, different um, vibrancies. It's merely a foretaste of something far more glorious. We will be face to face with God, fully transformed into his likeness. How does it strike you? We look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, being together with God, worshiping, gathered around his throne as his people. You can open your eyes. My four-and-a-half-year-old daughter recently said um, at bedtime, um, when we get to heaven, God is going to be so bright. We won't be able to see him, and we'll be with him there together, worshiping him. I had to broaden her understanding. God, in fact, will be so bright, but we will see him face to face. And he will be wiping the tear from our eye. He will be drawing us near. This is the hope of the unseen. We have ultimate heavenly realities that guide us in our relationships beyond what we can see in earthly ways. Be thinking about what this means for you. What difference does this make in how you live in your relationships? Our steadfast, loving, covenant-keeping, personal God in the very moment when you're interacting with somebody and it feels utterly hopeless, like there is no way. Or there's great joy. Sorry, I can tend to focus on the struggle side. Our God is personal, and it must become personal to you during our time together. After Wes and I got engaged, um, we were planning our wedding, and we didn't have very long to plan it, but um, we were were actually lamenting our families. We're kind of grieving together over over our families. And I had experienced this before when I was living in South Africa. Um, I, you know, I, I knew that my family felt that I chose God over them, and it was really hard to not be there um, for different things that were going on. But as he and I were talking together, um, it was helpful for us to recognize that there is a better family that we have in the church. His church family is one treasure of redemption. You all here together are his gift to one another and yet to himself as we grow together. He's drawing us together as his people. God's church is not perfect, don't live here seeking perfection, but it is better and greater. You know, one thought before I give you my last thought as you are interacting together at your tables, these women are the better family for you, far greater than any earthly family. We are one, you're one with each other in Jesus. So consider during your small group time how to go one step deeper with each other. Are you willing to trust outside of yourself 
and the one who is with you. Would you gift each other? Let me say that one more time because I said it too fast to hear it. Will you gift each other with honesty and openness? Will you be patient and aware that the person next to you may have a completely different story and experience? And during that time, we are imaging him as we grow together. So just leave you to think about that with each other. How can you image him more together? So in closing, John Murray says, we must not rely upon the means of sanctification, but upon the God of all grace. Not the means of sanctification, but the God of all grace. My prayer this weekend is that we each might encounter the living God in specific ways and that we would encounter him and one another in our need and neededness. Let me pray. Father, that is a lot of words. Um, And yet we trust that you are the word who dwells within us, making himself known even though we turn from you you, you purchase us back, and you um, build us up together. Thank you for these women. I pray that you would help them to grow in knowing who they are in you, and that would free them up to love, free them up to live your ways, not because they're trying harder, not because somehow they muster something up in themselves, but because you do it by your spirit. It's what you're about. It's what you do. It's who you are. We thank you for that reality, and we entrust the rest of our time this weekend together to you. Amen.